0: Hello and welcome to Talk D93, Community Consolidated School District 93's podcast, hosted by me, Superintendent Dr. David Hill. In it, I sit down from time to time with key figures who impact our district to have conversations about specific CCSD 93 programs, services, roles, events, history, and more. Today, I'm excited to host a conversation about restorative practices in CCSD 93. For those who don't know, Restorative practices are a systematic way our schools and classrooms build community so that each student feels included and accountable to their peers. This creates more productive learning environments and reduces the amount of time classrooms spend devoted to discipline. To help give us an overview of restorative practices and the many ways they are valuable to our schools, I am pleased to be joined by CCSD 93 Assistant Superintendent for Student Services, Dr. Krista Morrissey, Elsie Johnson Principal, Maria Weber, and School Resource Officer Pablo Castro of the Carroll Stream Police Department. Welcome Dr. Morrissey, Principal Weber, and Officer Castro. Thank you. Thank you. Let me start by asking Dr. Morrissey, what are restorative practices and why were they brought on to District 93?
1: So restorative practices are a systematic way to build community and forge relationships in classrooms. We brought them in to District 93 um, to enhance what we're doing with students. In the area of um, our strategic plan, we talk about the social-emotional development of our students. And restorative practices allows us to fully implement um, systems that support the whole child, making certain that every child's voice is heard really allows to build community and relationships, um, not just with the teacher and the students, but student-to-student as well. There's a great deal of educational research that improved academic outcomes also occur when students are participating in environments where they have a shared sense of community, where they feel honored and their voice can be heard, Um, and so restorative practices allows us a systematic way to do that in all of our buildings um, to enhance the learning environment for all of our students.
0: One component of restorative practices is community circles. Dr. Morsi, can you tell us a little bit about how these look for students and what they accomplish?
1: Certainly. There's a variety of circles that we um, do. Sometimes we do circles in content-specific areas where kids are learning in circle. Um, We also do circles to build community and relationships. What a circle basically is, is kids coming together, making certain that every voice is heard. So the circle is designed for um, a system of responding or communicating with each other. We um, actually do it in a very strategic way where there is a talking piece and norms that we all agree upon, and each child... or adult who's in the circle then has an opportunity to answer a question, participate, and um, share in that. Every student's voice is heard that way with the talking piece. We make certain that All people in the circle are actively listening to their peers, and in this way, we get to know each peer. Whereas if you're not in circle, sometimes one or two voices in the classroom might be overemphasized, or um, they may share more than others. In a circle format, we're allowing each child to really participate fully, um, whether that's an academic or a community circle, or even possibly a restorative circle. If there's a situation in a classroom where students are struggling to follow expectations, the teacher might circle up the students to talk through how do they resolve that issue. Um, And that way, every student is a part of creating that um, climate and culture for the classroom.
0: Thank you, Dr. Morrissey. That's a very nice overview of community circles. Are there other components um, of the restorative practices?
1: Certainly, circles are just one piece of restorative practices, and it's really allows to build kind of a foundation of trust in community. But in addition, um, we talk about restoration and um, restorative practices. We also talk about making certain that um, students are building on the skill of empathy and understanding, that they're building on the skill of knowing their impact and how they're, actions affect others as well as being able to assess and participate in um, restoring harm that might be done from um, when expectations aren't followed properly. So a piece of that is really looking at making certain that we're using affective questions or affective statements. One affective question is, what do you think you need to do to make things right? So for example, if a situation's occurred where a student has unintentionally harmed someone else um, in a behavioral situation, um, the administration or the teacher will go through restorative questions with them and get to that last piece of it is what do you think needs to, what do you think you need to do to make things right? And that really assists them then in being able to restore or repair the harm that has been caused. In addition to um, working through restorative questions, when there's, um, like, say, a discipline situation, um, that doesn't mean that there's no consequences given as well. So there's always, um, when we talk about restorative practices in the sense of discipline, we always have natural or logical consequences that occur, learning as well as restoration. And so the restorative practices are what we've added to enhance our discipline processes across the district.
0: Thank you. This sounds like a really important thing that we're doing organizationally. Where are CCSD 93 schools in implementing restorative practices?
1: So, we've been working on rolling out um, the systems for about five years. We began with um, a pilot at Western Trails School um, in Carroll Stream, and then rolled into um, Cloverdale and Stratford Middle School. And this year, we're training the rest of our um, schools. We do that through a trainer, trainer models. So there's a restorative team in each building that gets intensive training. And then those teams go back to their building and train their teachers um, as well as their students on the restorative process. Western Trails has been um, at it for about five years and they have really come a long way in their implementation of restorative practices. Um, Maria Weber was the assistant principal when they began to do that. And um, I think she's gonna talk a little bit about what's been um, happening in that pilot and where they have gotten to at this point.
2: Yep, I'd be happy to share that. So it was very exciting in year one to have the building team um, participate in the training because every team member was really excited to see how we can bring this knowledge to all of our classrooms in our our building. Um, We participated in training and then developed how we would roll it out in our building and have it applied to all of our classrooms. So it was exciting to see as we became comfortable with the um, effective questions, the effective statements, talking about restorative circles and logical consequences with our teams, and how we can make it individual to each situation that occurred or incident. Our first year, we took the theory and the understanding and developed our own PD on how it would apply to our buildings. So we had our staff participate in the PD, but the biggest part was to allow them time to practice and try. Um, We collected data along the way as well on community circles to see how often it was happening in the classrooms. We took that data and that information and would adjust our professional development to try to increase how often circles was happening. The most exciting part was walking into some of the classrooms that did it on a very regular basis, feeling that community amongst the students and the staff. And you recognize that there really was a feeling of community that was built through circles. Um, And then in year two of it, um, it was more of the getting the students to participate in it. So there was one situation where I had um, a group of students in my office and they were problem solving with me and I had the opportunity to see them to ask the questions of one another. Um, Rather, it being led by me, the generalization was very exciting to see that students were starting to talk about how how did it make you feel when that happened? Well, this is how I felt and sharing that information with one another. And then to go into the logical consequence of how they can together work through that to repair what was done. And then as we look to year three and on, um, we really spent some time serving our students and doing fidelity checks with our students and our staff which allowed Western Trails to continue the professional development and identify areas to allow us to continue to grow. I'm really looking forward to having the opportunity to bring restorative practices to LC Johnson and seeing the same successes.
0: Thank you. Principal Weber, what did you observe throughout Western Trails implementation in terms of student learning and student behavior with restorative practices?
2: The data showed improvement between relationships between students and staff. There really was a recognition that everybody was going to be heard. And together it was gonna be a we, rather than a two or a me. Um, we really approached everything with students when we were resolving conflict of we. How are we gonna talk about this? What can we do together moving forward? What do we think a natural consequence will be? And it really did shift a lot of the outcomes Um, regarding consequences with our students. Um, It was really rewarding to see the data as well, as we saw discipline in various areas um, reduce, so that was also rewarding.
0: Thank you. Dr. Morrissey, you mentioned building community with those outside of the classroom. Are you able to provide an example of this?
1: Certainly, I'd be happy to. Uh, One piece of uh, restoration is making certain that we build inside our schools as well as outside of our schools. So we took the same approach of having circles into our equity and excellence parent committee and we held a circle, um, actually four different circles, with parents. During that circle what came to be clear is that families really wanted to feel more connected to um, the community and a piece of where they wanted that connection was with our Carol Stream Police Department. There were several um, comments made in that circle that they felt that um, while the police department was coming in and working with our students in DARE, they felt like they needed to see more of their police officers and that they really wanted the police officers to build stronger relationships and understanding of their students so we attempted to build on that um, and now have police officers coming in for our second grade adopt-a-cop and they're actually sitting in circle with students so that way the officers get to know the students better and the students then get to know the officers better in ways outside of um, what you would typically think a police officer's uh, connection to the community or school would be. It was we talk about bringing those police officers in to that. Um, Officer Castro was instrumental in helping us build that, and I believe we're going to continue to develop it and enhance it for the years to come.
3: So, one of the first things that we did last year was we put together a program where we had Roughly about 22 police officers visit first-grade classrooms, and they went and they sat in a circle with first-grade students. The purpose of that was for the students just to ask our police officers basic questions. What's your favorite ice cream? What's your favorite book? And so the officer was responding back similar to questions that the first-graders have, which made it very interesting for both the, the officers the students in the classroom, and even the teachers. Um, They really enjoyed the program that we did coming in last year. Then after that, we, uh, like Dr. Krista Morris, you mentioned, our Adopt-A-Cop program. Our Adopt-A-Cop program has been going on for about 10 years now, but never fully where we had officers in every single second-grade classroom. And the purpose of the Adopt-A-Cop program is for a police officer to be adopted by that second-grade classroom. The officer goes into the second-grade classroom, they read a book, or they sit in a community morning circle. Maybe they show them their police car. They'll do different activities with, with the officer throughout that month of, of the school year. Our um, Officer Carol Cato, our crime prevention officer and public education officer, is in charge of that program and has, da- has done a phenomenal job putting Officers in every second grade classroom, as hard as that can be, uh, with officers having different uh, shift schedules, being in patrol or being in investigations. Even our command staff, our police chief, Bill Homer, is one of our adopt-a-cop police officers, so he visits the second grade classroom as well. So those are some of the things that we've done. We also, this year, uh, last summer, started NRCs, which are neighborhood roll calls. And our neighborhood roll calls are very similar to community circles where police officers have their actual roll call before their shift starts and they'll pick a spot in the community and they'll sit in the community and the community will come out and listen to roll call given and they'll get to hear what's happening in their community. And after the roll call is done, the officers then engage with the community members that come out and we had a very huge success with that. We also visit different PTA classrooms um, or events that they have. So those are, just some of the, those are just some of the small things that we have been doing for a long time. But I will say that over the last um, year, we've really been more invested into making an effort into being, having more officers in our schools.
0: Thank you very much. Officer Castro, we certainly value our partnerships with you and your fellow officers. Would you be so kind to explain a bit to you and your colleagues' experiences with restorative practices?
3: sure so restorative practices i've had the opportunity to sit in several restorative conferences with things that have come up over the time most recently this week uh, i sat in a restorative conference with one of our facilitators sabrina Connolly, and i sat in a restorative conference also with mr Petrosky, the principal at jstream and in that restorative conference there were probably about i would say about seven students and we were discussing something that was happening in social media. It was a conflict that was happening with social media and everyone had a talking piece. Everyone shared what was going on and really in that part I was able to provide my education, my experience in regards to law enforcement and the legal implications that could happen um, had they proceeded further with what they were doing on social media and it was pretty neat. I know that Dr. Krista Morrissey talked a little bit about how some students even take ownership for some of the things that they do in these circles, and we actually had a student who actually took ownership and actually said, you know, I want to apologize to everyone in the circle for my involvement in what was going on. So it was pretty neat to, to hear uh, that coming from students.
0: Sounds like an outstanding experience. Thank you. I know we could spend a lot more time getting into the details of restorative practices. But thank you all very much for joining me for this overview. Dr. Morrissey, Principal Weber, and Officer Castro, I truly appreciate your time.
2: Thanks for having us.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Talk D93 listeners, please subscribe to Talk D93 on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. And don't miss a thing from CCSD93 by following us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. You can also find me on Twitter at drhilld93. Join us next time for more from CCSD 93. Thank you.